Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. I got I to gotta take a second and just echo what Tyler said. I am truly grateful for our church, that we get to be a part of this church family, that we were, along with the Legos and many others, <clears throat> able to help start this church family, and that we get to gather like this, that we get to worship, that we get to open Scripture together. It really is a privilege. You know, we do it week in, week out, but it's a privilege that we get to do this. So thanks for being on the journey with us. Sometimes, as Christians, we think that we're not going to face hard times. Like, before we were Christians, we faced hard times. And it's actually, for some of us, because we were going through a hard time in life, God got a hold of our heart and He kind of revealed Jesus to us in a way that we wanted to follow Him. So we started following Jesus. And we heard that when we follow Jesus, like, things are going to go well. Life's going to be better. And that's true. But when we only hear about how good life is with Jesus... What we start to think is we start to think that life's just going to be easy, free of all trouble and pain. It's just going to be smooth sailing. And that's not really your fault for believing that. It's honestly kind of the fault of me and other pastors like me who genuinely want what's best for you. So what do we do? Well, we preach that if you follow Jesus, life's going to be better. And I, I genuinely believe that. But when we only hear how good life is, we start to have a naive view of what to expect. I mean, just raise your hand if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and life for you is just so easy. It's smooth sailing. It's free of all pain and trouble. Come on, no hands are up? Like, are you bad Christians? Of course not. I mean, I have to put my hand down too. Because life is life, and life is hard, and life, when we follow Jesus, is hard too. And Jesus didn't shy away from that. He was very clear about it. He was very open about it. And the thing is, when we follow Jesus and we start to face hard times, what we do, no one really says this, but if you're like me, you've thought these things, we start to wonder to ourselves, did I not have enough faith? Did I sin or do something to make God angry? Has he forgotten about me? Because we assume that life with Jesus is going to be all like roses. But it's not. Life is still hard when we follow Jesus. And Jesus knew this. He was very clear about it. In fact, what he said to his disciples was that in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Like, let me encourage you. Hard times are coming. Hard times are coming. How come no one's clapping? How come no, no amens to that? But it's true. Hard times are before us. Now, don't get me wrong. Following Jesus is better. I believe that wholeheartedly. And I also believe that following Jesus can be hard. Because Jesus said it would be hard. In fact, he even said that it might be harder if we follow him. He, he didn't shrink back. He shot super straight. 
because he wanted people to know what the cost would be, what it would require of them if people chose to follow him. Now, whatever you're going through in life today or this past week, I just want to say I'm really glad you're with us because today we're going to see the hope that we can have when life is hard. Because while life is hard, there is hope. And Jesus was very clear about that with his followers as well. So if you got a Bible, you can turn with me to John 16. We're actually going to pick up at first in John 15, 26, read a couple verses, and then we're going to go through John 16 together. If you need a Bible, we got some Bibles in the back. You can also follow along in the app and take notes there. So you are ready to go for your group's discussion this week. All right, so we've been through this in this Who is Jesus series for some time now, a couple months, because we've been slowly making our way through the Gospel of John, written by an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, John was there the very night Jesus said what we're about to read. It was Jesus' final teaching to his disciples before he was arrested and crucified, and we get to read what he had to say to them. And it's not going to be the commencement speech you'd anticipate. I'm just going to give you the, the warning on the front end. But before we get into that, let's do this. Let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask to hear from God now. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your, your grace and your mercy and that we can know you and we can follow you. And when life is hard, there is hope. Would you reveal that hope to us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, picking up in John 15, 26 through 27. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, Jesus introduced the Advocate, or the Spirit of truth, back in chapter 14. And here we get another glimpse to this, this third person in the Godhead. We believe in a triune God. It's one of the fundamental beliefs of, of being a Christian. And whether you're a Christian or not, the idea of the Trinity or, or God being three in one is, is confusing at worst and it's mind-bending at best. So I'm just going to try to very briefly explain that to you, all right? Here, here's what we believe if we follow Jesus. We believe in one God who is three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Each person is fully God. The Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. And yet, here's where it gets crazy. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. You see, each are fully God, yet they're distinct. One God in three persons. That's the God we worship. That's the God we serve. And here, Jesus tells us that the Father and Him, the Son, are going to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, what is the Spirit going to do? Well, the first way the Spirit helps us is by testifying to Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Helps us recognize that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that He is the Son of God, and that if we believe in Jesus, we can have life in His name, eternal life with God. The Holy Spirit reveals that truth. Jesus is the one who makes it all happen. And now we get to experience life with God the Father. How cool is that? That's what we believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Now, after reminding his followers of this Holy Spirit, who he was going to send, Jesus 
then says that his followers need to testify to him too. The Holy Spirit does that, and he expects his followers to testify as well. He said it like this, verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. You see, Jesus expects those who know him to help others know him. He expects those who follow him to help others follow him. It's just innate. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. You multiply. You share the hope you have with others who are in need of hope. Now, this is one of the key reasons following Jesus is hard. You see, we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being misunderstood, criticized. So when we follow Jesus, we're at risk of being misunderstood by those around us. So what do a lot of us do? Well, we just kind of keep quiet. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. We recognize that if we call people to believe in Jesus and that Jesus is the way to a relationship with God, like there is no other way, that that's going to upset some people. We, we recognize that. We're, you're smart. We're smart people. So what some of us do is we hold back. We stay quiet when we should speak up because we're nervous about what might happen if we speak up. And, and you know, personally, what it's looked like for me, uh, way back, like over a decade ago, well over a decade ago, I felt called to one day plant a church to help people connect with Jesus in a relationship with God. So time had passed and we were living in Maine and that call was, was still clear to me, but we had kind of been doing our own thing, doing some, it, life was good. And, and then Amanda looked at me over the dinner table and said, when do you think God wants us to, to pursue that calling? And we went, entered this, this prayerful process and it became clear God was calling us to leave Maine which meant leaving my family, leaving the church that we loved. And honestly, the possibility of, of a promotion to one day lead it. Like the future looked bright in this scenario. So we looked for all kinds of reasons to say yes to that. We, were we wanted to. And God said, go. So we went. And here we are. And today I'm going to invite you to peek behind the curtain and just see what the life of a pastor is like. Okay? Not all of us are going to be called to be pastors. That's not the goal, okay? The goal is not to be a pastor or a church planner, but we are all expected to testify to Jesus. And this is what it looks like for me to testify to Jesus. So I'm going to invite you behind the curtain into the inner life of a pastor today, and you're going to see it's not always easy. But Jesus didn't say it would be easy. It, Jesus very clearly acknowledges the risk. You know, we, we fear the possibility of turbulence, so some of us don't even want to get on the plane. We fear the possibility of turbulence, but Jesus just over the intercom is like, fasten your seatbelts. Turbulence is coming. And he doesn't leave us there, praise God. Let's now read chapter 16, not the whole thing, but we'll read the first 11 verses or so and see what Jesus has to say about what he's called us to. Picking up in John 16, 1. All of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. 
None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay, like I said, not exactly an inspiring commencement speech. Yet, Jesus told his disciples, his closest friends, the most helpful thing he could, because he told them the truth. And clarity is kind. Jesus could have told them, hey guys, I know that I'm inviting you to follow me. I just want to give you a heads up on the front end. It's going to be really easy. People are going to love you for it, especially when you want to correct their beliefs about God. They're going to love it. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Get ready for the fanfare. He could have told them, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing. So invite everyone you can to be a part of the cruise. But if Jesus had said these things to them, while it would have felt good in the moment for the disciples, they could have very easily have been derailed because chapters later in scripture, days later in reality, they started to face persecution. The book of Acts records it for us. As this passage says, they, people, like, they literally thought that they were honoring God by killing Christians. That's how it went like a month, two months, three months from now when Jesus is saying this to them. But Jesus was kind because he was clear. Guys, this is what's coming. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to send you my spirit. He will help, but it is not going to be easy. And clarifying expectations is kind. It is helpful. And even when uh, we were going through that whole church planning discernment process, there were pastors, there were church planners who heard of what we were doing, and they were very kind, and they were very clear. It's going to be hard. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And you're going to face trial after trial. There's going to be spiritual warfare. You're going to feel the tension in your marriage. You're going to, you're going to feel it. And we looked at them and said, sure, I bet. Sounds like it was rough for you. We're, we're going to have that smooth sailing, everything's great experience. But that's just not been the case. There have been facility challenges. There have been financial uncertainties, personnel problems, sleepless nights, criticism, a global pandemic. Then again, no one warned us about that. Marital conflict, dips in momentum, and a whole lot of spiritual warfare that we did not see coming. But in it all, I would find myself questioning, like, do I have the strength? Do I have the, the grit to continue? And, and there were many times where I'd, I'd pray, like, God, would you please bring breakthrough? Would COVID please go away? Like, can we move forward? I would pray and I would pray and I would pray. I, I kind of can relate to the Apostle Paul. This isn't going to be on the screen because I read it this morning, but it, it totally it captures the experience I've had, and, and I just want to share it with you. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Paul writes this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that in Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what it's felt like. Planting a church hasn't been easy, but Jesus didn't say it would be easy. That was the dream that I had in my head, but Jesus never said that. Jesus said testifying to him would be hard. It'd be challenging. We would face persecution much greater than what I've faced. It's going to be challenging. But Jesus also promised to send someone to help us. The helper, as the ESV puts it. NIV calls him the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit, one, will testify about Jesus. This is what we saw earlier at the end of John 15, and we see it again here in verse 8 of chapter 16. The Holy Spirit's also going to do this, too. Prove the world to be in the wrong. Okay, AKA, he's going to convict people of their sin. Sometimes what we do as Christians is we will appoint ourselves as judge and jury. And we will point out all the sin that we see in other people's lives, and we wonder why they don't love us. But that was not what Jesus asked of us. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts, who reveals sin. Sometimes he does it by you know, surfacing just like a, a, like a secret sin struggle. Other times, he'll use guilt. Not shame. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad. The Holy Spirit will use guilt. It's actually a, a, like a grace from God that it's like a warning sign that goes up. You know, like a, a, on the dashboard of our car, we get like the check engine light. Guilt is like that. We shouldn't be going in the direction we're going. Or we got we to gotta change. We got to do something about it. But really, we can't do anything about it. We need God to do something about it. That's the gospel. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts. And yet, we're also responsible for sharing Jesus. We saw that earlier. We're supposed to testify about him. And, and as a pastor now for almost a decade, um, which has been a, a crazy journey, it's been a fun journey, it's been a hard journey, I have preached the gospel many times, very blatantly at times. Some of you have heard it. Other times I've preached it in other contexts. It's been a bunch of different ways. But I've preached the gospel a bunch now. And sometimes people have responded, like they've received Jesus. And how cool is that? Those are good days. There was a day four years ago where I preached the gospel. Holy Spirit moved in an incredible way. 40 people spontaneously received Jesus and got baptized that day. I can't do that. God does that. But when God shows up like that, you start to believe he can do it again. You do. So what I do now is I bring a swimsuit with me every single week. Because we don't have a, a baptismal set up every week, but we do have a giant pool over there. And I don't know what God's going to do. I bring it when I preach. I bring it when someone else preaches. Because I believe God's going to move when we gather like this. And even still, here's, here's the, the peek behind the curtain. There have been times where I've preached the gospel since then, and one or, or two people have responded. There have been times, many times, where I've preached the gospel, and I'm not aware of anyone responding in receiving Jesus. And when I go home on those days, I am super bummed. I'm discouraged. I'm like, what the heck? Like, what did I, what, what's wrong? And it, it's often looking inward at me and 
again, I'm not responsible for convicting of sin. I'm not even responsible, really, for someone clearly seeing Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that, but I kind of feel that. I feel that tension. And and here's my commitment before you all and before God. I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. Like, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel boldly and passionately because there is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved except for the name of Jesus. So as long as I get to Pastor Connect, you better believe we're going to talk a lot about Jesus because he is our hope. He is our life, and he is the way to the Father. And I would invite you to do whatever you can to testify about him too, because this isn't just a me thing. It's a humbling thought that while God is the one who actually changes people's hearts, he includes us in the process. Whether it's you know, sharing a message like this from a stage or it's a conversation at coffee, it doesn't matter. He can use both. And he has used both. And he will continue to use both. And many other ways to point people to Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. We're the one who share. But this isn't the only thing the Holy Spirit does. What we're also about to see is three things. One, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into truth. Second thing we're going to see is he's going to tell us what's to come. And third, glorify Jesus. Jesus promised these things in what he said next, verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Following Jesus is hard, but the Holy Spirit is our helper. We're going to face rejection, opposition, persecution, and I want to challenge us not to stop testifying to Jesus. But if we're not going to stop testifying, it can't be by our own strength. Because our strength is going to waver. Your strength is going to waver. Like my strength wavers at time. But when we are weak, He is strong. So let's lean on the Holy Spirit. Let's trust Him to do what only He can do. And let's let's see how He connects people to Jesus as a result. You don't have to be a pastor on on a platform to do this. One of the coolest things over the last couple of years is seeing Zach and Katrina Zaremba share their faith with their community, their family, their friends, their neighbors. I would go out on a limb and say they're our best evangelism strategy. Like we have seen so many people come to Saving Faith through their relational network because they love well and they are bold in sharing the gospel. They, that doesn't just happen though, like they pray for boldness. Just like the early church did in the book of Acts, the Zarembas regularly pray for opportunities to boldly share the gospel. And as a result, their family, their friends, their neighborhood is being transformed by the power of the gospel. It's quite possible that they have actually baptized more people than me in the last three years. I'd have to go back and do the math. But I share that with you because while some people, some pastors might feel threatened by that, I celebrate it. Because connecting the disconnected to a growing relationship with God, that's not my thing. That's our thing. That's what we are called to as followers of Jesus, to share the hope that we have so that others can experience it too. 
And where does it start? Well, it starts in prayer. Like the Zeremba's, I wonder if we prayed for boldness, what kind of opportunities would God give us? Like, and would we have the courage to step into those opportunities? Prayer is actually what Jesus taught his followers to do next. In verse 16 and following, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Like, we don't understand what he's saying. And you can't blame these guys. Five times in these three verses, we hear a little while. Like, what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus saw that he wanted, they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman grieving birth to a, giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Jesus is predicting his imminent death and resurrection. It just completely went over their head, right over the disciples' head. They did not get it until a few days later when they saw him again. And as we saw in John 14 and Again, last week in John 15, what Jesus asks of his disciples is to ask the Father, ask God to move in his name, to do greater things. And, and it's been a, a theme throughout Jesus' teaching, but he really hits it home with his disciples in this last time with them. I, I preached on it a couple weeks ago, and I invited us, let's pray big, let's pray bold. And maybe you walked out thinking, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray bigger. I'm going to pray bolder. How's it going? How's it going? Because this is what Jesus asked of us. And, and if you have been praying, I wanna encourage you, keep praying. If you haven't seen the, the answer yet, keep praying. A theme in Jesus' teaching on prayer is persistence in prayer, sorry. Because for, for him, it's a lot more about the relationship with God than the end result. And that's where the persistence comes in, the going before the Father again and again and again. So he asks us to persist in prayer. What this has looked like for me in this church planning journey is I have a note on my phone. And there are days where, I mean, I, I try to pray for Connect and, and the ministry here in our region daily, but there are days where I'm like, I don't know what to pray. So what I'll do is I'll open up this note and I'll pray the prayers I've been praying before. Things like, God, would you reveal your thoughts and ways to me? Will you give me the, the humility, the wisdom, the love to lead your church well? God, would you spark a revival in our land and would you start it in our hearts? God, would you multiply disciples through Connect and leaders in churches so that more people in the front range can know the gospel? I've been praying these things, some for three years, some for longer. And I'm gonna keep praying them. And I wanna I want invite you to pray them with me. Like, would you join me in praying bigger, persistently, that 
God would move in a greater way, a greater way than we've seen in our lifetime, a, a greater way than maybe this region has ever seen. Would he move in a greater way for his glory? And would one day everyone get an opportunity to connect with God, the church, and their purpose? Not just because of what he's doing through Connect Church, but because of what God's doing in this whole front range region. There are tons of good churches. And we need to link arms so that one more person can know Jesus. It's a team sport. And we're all on the team. So will you pray? If you, you were like, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And you stop praying. Consider this your invitation to, to join us again. Like, will you join us in praying now? We've got to pray because God's got to show up. Now, Jesus then lands the plane for his disciples. Last thing he teaches them before getting arrested and crucified. He says this, verse 25, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then the disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone to ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. I find that slightly comical. They had seen signs and wonders, but now this is what makes it click for them, at least in a, in a greater way, in a, in a fresh way. Continues, do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. So the disciples get it. Jesus, you know, graciously applauds them for it. And then he says, look, guys, you're actually going to be scattered. You're not even going to stand with me here in the days to come. He concludes with this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't shrink back. He shot straight. He instilled hope. He's like, yeah, you're going to face turbulence, but in me you can find tranquility. It's gonna be hard, but press in. Press into me, press into the Spirit. Together we're gonna see something happen. Church, if we follow Jesus, then in this world we will have trouble. But take heart, because in Jesus we have peace. And this peace doesn't mean that there aren't gonna be hard times that everything's gonna be smooth sailing, that there's no more crying or mourning or pain, one day that will be the case. But between now and then, we're in the in-between. We know what's coming, we know heaven's on its way, and yet, day-to-day -day is pretty hard. There's sickness and trials and, and suffering. We can have peace, though, because all of that stuff isn't the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Scripture tells it to us. In Revelation 21, we find out that one day there will be no more mourning or crying or pain or death. All of those things are going to be passed away because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's making everything new. Everything will be new.
But what does it look like to live in the in-between? How do we find peace in Jesus who has overcome the world? How do we find peace in Jesus in the in-between? The first thing is trust in Jesus. As it clicked for the disciples, may it click for us. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God, just as he said. And as he said, if we believe in him, we can have life with God in his name. He's the way to God. So if we want to connect with God, we got to connect with Jesus. Second, take heart in Jesus, because Jesus is the one who has overcome. Throughout John, what we have seen is that as impatient as the impatient may be, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. As sick as the sick may be, Jesus is the healer. As dark as the dark may be, Jesus is the light of the world. As dead as the dead may be, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. As lost as the lost may be, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So, as discouraged, as defeated, as deflated as we may feel at times, we can have peace because Jesus is the overcomer. That's who we serve. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. So take heart in Jesus. And third, testify about Jesus. Now, while church planning has had its values, it's also had its mountaintops. Like, we've seen people come to saving faith in Jesus. We've baptized them right here on the stage. We've baptized them in the pool. It's been a blast. There have been some really cool moments. Really, really cool moments. And whether we're in a valley or we're on a mountaintop, like I said earlier, I'm going to continue to preach Jesus because He is the hope of the world. He is the overcomer. And in Him, we can have peace even though life is hard. Now, if this is true, and it is, we also need to testify together. This can't just be a me thing. It needs to be an us thing. We must testify about him, as Jesus said at the end of John 15. Now, I shared my story with you today, but I share it, and please don't interpret that as, okay, the way you testify about Jesus is either by becoming a pastor and or planting a church. God might call you to that, but for most of us, he's not going to because he's got something else in store for you. And it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. Because he's given you a gift, he's given me a gift, and how do, we, how do we use the gifts he's given us for God's glory and others' good? All of us can grab coffee, all of us can have a conversation on the sidewalk, and honestly, a lot of lives are changed that way. So let's pray. Let's pray big, but let's also pray for our neighbors, the people across the street and opportunities to share with them too. Now, I'm gonna warn you on the front end, it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna probably be criticized, you might be rejected, you probably will be misunderstood, and we might face persecution like we've never faced before. That might be what's ahead of us. I don't know for sure. I can't read the future. But Jesus seemed to think that it was gonna be hard. And I think many of our experience has confirmed that to be true. But know this, as hard as it gets, you're going to be in good company. It was hard for the disciples. It was hard for the church fathers. It's been hard for Christians for two millennia now. And like them, let's not try to go it alone. Some Christians try to follow Jesus alone. Some only watch a message online and they call that church. You can learn a lot that way. It's just not church. Church has, has relationships involved, and online can help with that. 
but it, it can't do it in its entirety. Others come to a service like this and think that that's good, like I checked the box for the week. And if you're looking to check a box, okay. If you're looking to follow Jesus and experience life with his church, I would invite you to, to build some relationships with people. Could be in a, in a group context, could be on a team. Like get to know others where they can get to know you and, and follow Jesus together, link arms together. One of the greatest joys in this whole church planning journey has been the people I've gotten to do it with. Of course, my wife, Amanda, and also the Legos and the Zarembas and the Goldsteins and the Williams and the Lemonians and the Nasrallahs and Brenda and so, I, I'm gonna lose track. Sorry, if I forgot you, please do not be offended. That was not my intent. There are so many and so many have linked arms with us since those COVID days. And the greatest joy is that while it's hard, we get to do it together. We get to point people to Jesus together. We're seeing them connect with Jesus, connect with his church, and then go and connect others who are disconnected. We get to do it together. So as we've said from day one, we is better than, better, be, let's try that again. We is better than me. It just is. So let's unite together. Let's link arms. And that's where we're going to pick up next time because Jesus had a lot to pray about that very thing. But before we go, let me encourage you. While in this world, we will have trouble. We can take heart because in Jesus, we have peace. He is the overcomer. He is the, the Prince of Peace. And in Him, there is peace. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the peace that you bring. The calm amidst the storm, the, the assurance, the confidence, the boldness, the courage, and of course, the strength that your spirit gives. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a, a fair warning on the front end. And thank you for equipping us and empowering us and helping us by your spirit day in and day out. Holy Spirit, would we be more aware of your presence? Would, would we walk in your presence? and keep in step with you. And as we do, would we see more people start walking with you too? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.